to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. Uh, This evening, I want to teach on how to develop a strong spirit. How to develop a strong spirit. Ephesians 3, verse 16, and then we're going to read Ephesians 6, verse number 10. Verse 16 of Ephesians 3. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Note those three words, the inner man. Say those words with me, the inner man. Now let's go to Ephesians 6, look at verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. And note where Paul is putting the emphasis on the Lord and his power and his might. Now we're going to have a word of prayer and then we'll just dive right into this. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we spend a few moments looking into these verses and other verses, we pray that you speak to all of our hearts. We do consider it a privilege and an honor to know you, to be able to mention the name of Jesus from our lips. So God, speak to all of us this evening, I pray. God, let there be a divine impartation of faith and boldness and courage. Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. About 30 years ago, there was a, a popular ministry team that traveled America preaching in high schools, and they used exercise and weights as a means to reach people. I mean, they would take baseball bats and place them over their thighs and break them. They were muscular, and they were brawny. They could take pieces of steel and in front of high school athletes, bend them. And then, of course, afterwards, they would give their testimonies of how they found the Lord. And literally thousands of teenagers came to Christ across America in high school auditoriums. Well, through the years, rumors were circulating about troubles that they were having behind the scenes. And when the ministry finally fell apart, we found out that these big bodybuilder-looking individuals were beating their spouses behind closed doors, dealing with anger, sexual addictions, and other problems like that. And I wondered then, and I certainly think about that now, whenever I'm having to minister on this topic, how do we strike the balance? We know that working with the natural body is good. The Bible even speaks of a modicum of blessing that comes with taking care of that. This is the temple. But you can have bulging biceps and big thighs, and if you don't have a strong spirit, the devil will run over you every day of your life. And it is absolutely essential that we have within us a spirit that is strong, a spirit that is mighty and powerful. Paul uses the phrase the inner man or the inward man three times 
He's the only writer that talks about this. When a believer comes from sin into righteousness, when he or she walks out of darkness and surrenders to the Lord and enters into the kingdom of the Lord's dear son, at that point, regeneration occurs. A person has repented of their sins, believed by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the Lord then renews us inwardly. The Bible says that old things have passed away. All things have become brand new. The scripture makes it very plain that our sins have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that old nature now, by faith, is tied to the cross, and I'm crucified in Christ. So the scripture tells us, put to death that old man. How do we do that? By trusting that we're dead in Christ. However, inside of us has come to life through the new birth an inner man. And you can see from what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 16, that this inner man can be strengthened. And you'll note that Paul even prays that the inner man would be strengthened with might. In Romans 7, in verse 22, Paul says, I delight after the law, the inward man. So when you're born again and God changes your life, there's something that happens inside of you where now you have a new principle of desire. You have new appetites. And they're godly. Any person who says to you, I am a Christian, but I don't like the Bible. I'm not interested in church or fellowship. Don't care too much about gospel songs or praise and worship. I'm telling you, nothing has happened to that person. Because when you're born again, you're born of God. You're regenerated. And there is something in you that delights in the law of God. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says that though this outward man perishes, the new man is renewed day by day. That inner man is renewed. That again tells you that this inward man is affected by the life of God, by the power of God. Now, you weren't born to live forever in a physical body. And you know as well as I do all you got to do is look at your hands now. If you're older, you can see that your skin doesn't quite look like it did when you were 17. And you can look in the mirror and you can see that where there once was a full head of hair, sometimes things change. And maybe where there was a full head of auburn hair or a brunette type hair, or brown hair, suddenly there are these white hairs that are appearing. You realize when I came out here to Nebraska, I was in my 20s. I didn't have any white hairs in my head. But then I started pastoring you folks. And I mean, they just start sprouting up one place after another. <clears throat> but this outward man is perishing. But inside of me, there's the life of God. There's a new man, an inner man, an inward man that is being renewed every day. And even though this old man is passing away, my insides keep telling me I'm younger and I'm being renewed. And this is why sometimes when you're in your 60s or 70s or 80s, people will tell you, I know my physical body won't let me do what I once was able to do, but I keep thinking inside that I can do it. That inner man is renewed. 
So Paul tells us then, our life should be dominated by this inward man who's renewed in the knowledge of God, who is made after the image of God. And when we allow this inner man to dominate our life, then we're not governed by our senses and by our emotions. No Christian should live a life totally dominated by how they feel. There are some people, if you ask them, how are you doing today? They'll spend an hour and a half telling about everything that's wrong with them physically. As if you ask them, how do you feel? But God wants you to understand that if your life is dominated by the emotional realm and dominated by the flesh, you can never be the overcomer God wants you to be. So then how can I develop my inner man? How can I develop a strong spirit? Well, first off, you'll notice in verse 14 of Ephesians 3, for this cause I bow my knees. And then in verse 16, you can see the prayer that he would grant you according to the riches of his might to be strengthened. Pray for others and have them pray for you. That's where it begins. When you think of your Christian brethren, pray that they would be strengthened by the power of God. If you know somebody has certain weaknesses in their life, you should pray for them. You know people are battling certain habits, addictions, weaknesses. Why wouldn't you pray for them? That, Father, you would help them inside, inwardly, so that they would be able to rise up and be strong enough to face every challenge and to meet every obstacle head on. Because the devil is not going to walk away from you just because you're a Christian. The day you became a Christian, he put a target on your back. And everywhere you go, he's got people that are looking for you and people that are going to target you. Scripture makes it very plain. We should pray for others and have others pray for us. Now, there is a verse in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, that says, He that prays in the Spirit edifies himself. Now, this is Pentecost Sunday. And over 2,000 years ago, 120 people were gathered together and the Spirit of God was poured out. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Individuals who have experienced that are able to pray in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says you edify yourself. That's, that's like somebody hooking up to a battery charger. And there's, there's something that, 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 that flows from that language, flowing from that prayer. In fact, the scripture says it this way in Isaiah, with stammering lips and other tongues will I speak to this nation, he says. So if a car were to run out of power, somebody comes along with a jumper cable. And there, before you know it, power is now placed inside of that individual. And if I spend time praying in the spirit while I'm driving, while I'm cutting grass, or while I'm, you know, riding in a car, doing anything, I am, I am hooked up to a God that knows all things and is all powerful. And every believer should Say to the Lord, Father, do this for me. I was talking with one of our associate ministers this morning over in Red Cloud, and she was telling me how in the church she was raised in, which I think was Church of God uh, Anderson, Indiana. So not a 
full gospel church, but somehow she said on her own, she just started reading the book of Acts. And somewhere in chapter two, she came across what was there and said, Lord, if any of this is for today, could you please do a work in my life right now on her knees in her bedroom? And in just a few moments, what happened in Acts chapter two and in Acts chapter 10 and in Acts chapter 19 and in Acts chapter eight happened to her in her bedroom because she prayed and talk to God. I think that if we want to have a strong spirit, we should ask God to give us all that is available to us. Everything that is possible for us to receive. So again, have people pray for you. You pray for others. What's another way to develop a strong spirit? Ephesians 6 and 10. It says here, be strong in the Lord. So read the Bible. If Verse 10 talks about the Lord and then about his power and his might. Unless you acquaint yourself with the Lord, you're never going to be confident in God. Why do so many Christians go so many days without reading the Bible? Why would you not want to read this book? This book explains to you about God, his attributes, his characteristics, his perfections. When you look into this book, it tells you about how he is holy and faithful and just and jealous of your time. It explains to us that he's loving all of these things. But more than anything else, it explains his ability, his capability. And within the manifestation of all of that is his power. And when you take the time to read from Genesis to Revelation and focus on selected passages and stories, you become acquainted with God. And once you know God, then you can be strong and you can do exploits because they who know their God will be strong and do exploits, as Daniel said. But many Christians don't know God and they act like they don't know God by the way they interact with problems and the way they interact with with other people. I think having a relationship with, with him is the key. So Abraham, the Bible says he was the friend of God. Now think of that relationship that he had. Consider this. He left the country in which he was born without a map, without a GPS, but trust in God. And he took a handful of his family members with him. And the Lord led him and brought him into the promised land. Now here's a gentleman that... He, his son, and grandson each struggled with conception with their wives, each of them for at least 20 years or more. But they trusted God and they believed. Then comes the babies. So from that family, God made this clan that later became this wonderful nation of people that went into Egypt. And God proved himself to be faithful to Abraham over and over again. Even when Ishmael didn't do what was right, Abraham never changed. When Lot separated from Abraham and went and stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord said, I've seen the sins of these people. I'm going to judge this place. And Abraham interceded and said, God, if you find 30 people, spare it. 40 people, spare it. 20 people, 10 people, would you spare it? The Lord said, there are 10 righteous people there. It should be fine. Well, Abraham knew that Lot ought to have had that many people in his family. 
Then one day Abraham looked up and here comes the fire and the brimstone. That man was praying and Lot was delivered with his two daughters. Do you realize that even though Lot was in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham never lost his faith in God? I've seen plenty of people backslide because a tragedy occurred. But when Abraham stood on that hill and he looked over there and saw the fire and brimstone, the judgment coming upon the cities of the plain, he didn't turn his back on God. That's what you need to learn when you read the scriptures. The Bible says Moses was a man of God. This individual had come to the Red Sea with the uh, children of Israel behind him. And standing in front of that Red Sea, he had to listen to all of these people say, you brought me out here to kill me. Things were better for us back in Egypt. But Moses didn't let the bitterness in their hearts get in him. He went to God. He said, look, I'm following you. You've got me out here leading all these crazy people. And and what what am I supposed to do? We can't walk on this water. What, What are we supposed to do? And the Lord said, Moses, what's that in your hand? He said, Lord, that rod that you gave me. He said, take that rod, hold it out. He held it out. Sure enough, and power God came sweeping through there. And one night, millions of people crossed through the Red Sea in one night on dry ground. That means with several million people in that Red Sea, God would have had to blow a hole in that thing a mile and a half wide in order for those Israelites to march abreast across there and get to the other side all in one night. But the power of God had come. And when Moses saw that, was no way on this earth you could convince him that God wasn't powerful. And when you've seen God, when you've observed God, nobody can change your mind. Yeah, you, you just don't have time to listen to these people that tell you that what God has done, he doesn't do anymore. How many times have you heard people or read in a book somewhere where they've said, after the last apostle died? God, stop doing anything for anybody. And I've often wondered why it is that anyone would believe that God would stop doing anything because a man died. After the last apostle died, there still were other believers on planet Earth that saw Jesus. But even after the last human that saw Jesus in the flesh died, why would God stop doing anything? He wouldn't. He's still God. He's still God. Well, after the first century or second century of the church, there are all kinds of testimonies amongst the early church fathers that demonstrate that God still did miraculous things. So Justin Martyr, who lived from 100 A.D. to 165 A.D., this is what he said, and I quote, he said, you can come into any of our fellowships and you will see the Spirit of God at work You will see people cast out devils, heal the sick, prophesy, and or speak in tongues. Cyprian, one of the church fathers, he said a little bit later, he even testified to children, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years of age, prophesying as the Spirit of God came upon them. I don't understand why there is such a need to disbelieve that God can help us. I don't understand that, but we hear that over and over again. But I know from the scripture 
that what God did in this book, God's still doing now. So today, we have to do what they did in the book of Acts. What did they do? I'll ask you a question. We'll take a poll. If in the gospel you've ever read where people in the, gospel, in the book of Acts preached the gospel, raise your hand. If you've ever read where they see, preached the gospel, if they preached the gospel then, shouldn't we preach the gospel now? If you've read in the book of Acts where people had to repent of their sins, lift your hands up. If they had to repent of their sins, then don't they have to repent of their sins today? If you've read in the Bible where people were baptized in water, raise your hand. Don't we still baptize people in water today? Absolutely. So then, if you've read in the Bible where people actually prayed individually and prayed corporately, slip your hands up. Well, if they prayed in the book of Acts, don't we still pray today? Then my question is simple. Why then should we expect results that are different what God provided from them in the Bible? If it's the same God and we believe the same gospel, the only thing that's different is our geography. So why should we believe and expect something differently? People in the Bible had wonderful things that happened. I'm not going to take a poll right now, but I, I can promise you, if I talked to everybody and interviewed everybody in here individually, at some point, if I'm asking you about your testimony and about your life, you're going you're gonna to tell me about something that happened that was remarkable or wonderful or miraculous. Now, you may not have thought that's what it was at the time. But I can tell you the hand of God's been on everybody in here that has a covenant with the Lord. He's guided you, preserved you, and protected you. And he's done it in different ways for all of us. I've had people tell me, well, you know, I, I just don't think that, that God is, is speaking to people in, in dreams and visions today. And then when my wife and I go overseas and preach in all the Middle Eastern countries I've been in, I can't tell you the number of Muslims I've met who said to me they became a Christian because they had a dream of Jesus. And even if everybody else is saying, I don't think God does that, do you think that former Muslim is going to change his mind? He has had an experience with God, and he's never going to allow that to pass from his memory. I've told you before about when I moved to Jordan in August of 1994 and got malaria. And I'm laying there in that bed with, oh, a whole lot of blankets on me, eight or nine of them. Had the chills, had the sweats. I brought an American friend from high school with me. He wanted to study Arabic because he also wanted to get a government job working with the NSA or the CIA. But here I am in that bed, and I told my friend Rakid, I said, look, I don't care what happens to me. I'm not going to one of these Jordanian hospitals. I said, I don't trust the medical technology over here. I'm not going. I said, if something happens to me, you have to pray because my mother's not getting on the plane and my dad's not going to get on the plane and come to a foreign country to get me. So you got to pray. I laid there in that bed with the shakes and the chills, hadn't eaten anything. And they were sitting up against the wall with their knees up in their chest. 
And they sat there all night and prayed for me and prayed. And finally, I fell asleep, went to sleep, had a dream. In the dream, somebody come to me in the dream and said, the master wants to see you. Obviously, I'm in heaven in the dream. And I go over to where I believe I'm talking to the Lord. And the Lord says to me, you can't stay here right now. You've got to go back. I said, well, I don't want to go back. I'm happy here in your presence. He said, you've got to go back. And then he did his hand like this and said, Rakid's praying for you. Next thing I knew, I saw Rakid there praying for me. And then the Lord said to me in that in that that dream there, he said, now, when you get back and you're talking and teaching about prayer, you tell people that when they're praying for something that is in accordance with my will, if they won't stop. I'll give them the desires of their heart. And then I woke up. Didn't have the chills, didn't have a fever, wasn't in a sweat, was totally healed and got up and ran around that little village called Mahata, letting everybody know I was healed by the power of God. So having had that experience, if I'm talking with someone and they're looking me in the face and they say something like, well, I just don't believe that that really happened. Do you think I care? <laughs> not at all. It's not going to change anything about me because that experience has created in me a stronger spirit for this than what they possess. See, if God is for you, who can be against you? Let me give you something else to consider here. How else can we develop a strong spirit? Well, it says in Hebrews, let us not forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as we see the day approaching, we fellowship. See? Now, why then do we fellowship with the saints? To develop a strong spirit. Now, all of us have different weeks. And by that, I mean your Monday through Sunday is different. You may have the same routine, but you're dealing with different people, different devils, different trials, different issues. And when you come out to fellowship with the saints, it is it is in the house of God. If you've got some true people that love the Lord, that you can praise and worship God, praise and worship God. A gathering of saints should be about magnifying Jesus. A worship service in a church should never be tailored for sinners. It should be tailored for the believers to worship God. When God brought the children of Israel around the tabernacle or he brought them to the temple and he called them and wanted to commune with them and the glory of God fell, he never one time brought them in so he could talk to them about the latest Hittite or Canaanite worship song at all. If a Canaanite or somebody even wanted to come close to the temple, God wasn't having anything to do with that. The Bible says, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord but him that hath clean hands and a pure heart? So Christians, when we gather on the Lord's Day or any other day for a worship service, it is about glorifying our God. It's about creating a garden of praise. And if a sinner enters into that, he should come in contact with the presence of God. 
He or she should come in contact with people walking in the glory of God. And when that glory descends, then he'll realize, oh, my goodness, these folks are different. Now, my older brother, one time when he was a sinner, he went to a a church. I won't name the denomination, but he went to a church and the uh, people up there leading the song they, they had taken, I guess, a secular song or something like that and tried to add a few gospel words to it or whatever. But I asked him about the service afterwards. I said, man, Rick, how was the, the church service? He said, man, that's one of the best services I've ever been in my life. He said, they sang a song we were jamming to in the club the other night. I said, really? Here's my brother at that time, a sinner, going to a church service, enjoying the praise and worship because they're singing what he's saying in a club the other night. No, no, that's that's the plan of God. You develop a strong spirit when you come in contact with people that love God, worship God, and praise and worship. And you also develop a strong spirit when you hang around people that are encouraging to you. Look, if, if you're having a bad day or a bad moment, it's good to have somebody give you a smile. Or a hug or a word of exhortation. Somebody comes along and says to you, look, now you've you got to shake yourself out of this. I want you to know God is on your side. You're not defeated. You're stronger. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. You've been called to be the head, not the tail. Now, you may not necessarily want to hear it at that time, but that person is trying to pull you up to where you need to be seated in heavenly places, trying to tell you, look, shake yourself. You can't walk around with clouds of despair over you every moment. I can't remember who it was with the old uh, Peanuts gang that everywhere they walked, they had that dust cloud around. Might have been Linus or somebody. Pig, pig pen. Yeah, just, just terrible, you know, terrible. That, that's not the plan of God for you or for me. Why else do we fellowship with the saints? In order to be in a service where the Spirit of God is at work, and there can be manifestations of the Spirit. The Scripture said if someone gives a word from the Lord, a sinner in that place will think, oh my goodness, surely God is in this place. Yeah, manifestations of the Spirit. There have been times where Tiff and I have been in churches and traveled. Somebody gives an utterance in tongues. I give the interpretation. Sometimes I might give an utterance in tongues and the interpretation. And it reveals something that nobody else knew but a handful of people in there. God is speaking directly to a heart. How do we go to church? For manifestations of God's presence through a variety of people. You'll never know. What God will do. But we have to always be open to what God wants to say. God can use anybody to give a word of exhortation. And what God may be dealing with you about, you share that. That very well could put a smile on somebody else's face or give them direction and provide lamp for their feet on the path that they're traveling. This is why we fellowship. Learn to run with people that are stronger than you. If you want to develop a strong spirit, don't run with weak people. You spend your time with weak people, you're going to be a weak person. If you you run with folks that that really have faith in God, you're going to find that you're going to be pulled up. It's like when we used to play basketball, when when we'd go to the city park and they'd have 18 to 25 different uh, courts out there. Everybody used to be on the center court. 
Because on the center court is where all the best players were. Everybody just kind of gravitated little by little to the center court. And the ones who were losing the games, they had to start going to the other courts. And pretty soon if they kept losing, they ended up on the outside courts. And you could stand up against the fence and see the difference in the abilities and those on the outside and those on the center court. But if you ever wanted to become a better ball player, you had to run with people that could play ball. And when I used to box, if I wanted to become a better boxer, I had to spar with people that were better than I was. See? And the same thing in the Christian life. If you want to grow in grace and in knowledge and have power to cast out devils and believe that you can lay hands on the sick and be strong in your witness instead of timid and afraid, you need to run with people that's not fearful. Yeah. You run with people that's not afraid to open up their mouth and tell the cash register attendant about Jesus. That's good. You go into a restaurant and the server comes to your table and you won't be afraid to let them know how much you love the king as you're giving your order. Yeah. But all of this is necessary for developing in you a strong spirit. Let me give you one more thing here in James chapter four and notice verse number seven. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. The latter sentence, latter half of the verse, won't occur if we don't do the first part of the verse. Submit to God. You want to develop a strong spirit? Be obedient to what God says that you should do. See, we, we oftentimes, we, we, we have to try to figure out where God is when we get in trouble. He's been in the same spot for the past 2,000 years. He's just been looking for somebody to believe. But there are people in the Bible who wouldn't surrender everything. We've heard of Samson. Three chapters deal with him, basically. 14, 15, and 16, aside from the chapter with his birth. But in those three chapters, every one of them have him chasing a woman. Every single one of them. Now, he was a judge. And the Bible says the Spirit of God would come upon him, and then he could tie up the tails of foxes with torches, and he could fight people and lift up gates and walk long distances with them. But you never see him judging anything. He had a life totally dominated by passions, and the lust of the flesh. One chapter starts off with him saying, uh, Mom, Dad, I saw a woman the other day, and I'm telling you, she was gorgeous. And Mom and Dad said, well, so what? He said, I want her. Go get her for me. And she was a Philistine lady. And they said to him, can't you ever love somebody that has a covenant with God? Can't you ever love someone that's an Israelite? Well, he kept pressing them. Finally, they went on and just relented and gave, uh, gave, gave in to him. And he ended up with that woman. And, and you know what? The problem is he had a life dominated by his passions and he was so governed by them. He didn't care what God said, what the law said. If he wanted her, he wanted her. And there was another time where his passions got the best of him. He saw a lady down in the valley. Her name was Delilah. 
He said, oh, this one is cuter than the last one. And he said, oh, I, this woman, I just, I don't know how I've lived on this earth without you so long. And this lady was a pagan and she was heathen. But he started going around her, spending time with her. And she was looking at him and knew about some of his exploits. And she, she's asking some questions because he's got these riddles and stuff. Can't nobody figure out the answers to them. And so she starts saying, now tell me, how is it that you're so strong? I mean, how, how is it that you've got all this muscular power? Because I guess looking at him, he didn't look like much. But she wanted to know. And he kept telling her these things that were false. And finally, one day he, he, he had his head there in her lap. And you know how, how ladies do. They go to massage in that guy's scalp. And, you know, we just kind of get like a little kitten and go purring and enjoying life and everything, settling on in into that. And, and she says, now, come on, if you really love me, why don't you tell me the root of your power? And he just, he couldn't, he couldn't take it anymore. He just said, I've never cut my hair. There's been a Nazarite vow on my life. And if I cut my hair, I lose my power. She said, oh, there, sugar, that's okay. You'll be fine. And he went on to sleep. She called him the pagan barbers. And they came in, snip, snip, cut his hair in the midst of that deep sleep. And then she said, she said, Samson, Samson, the enemies are upon you. He jumped up, and in the past, he just beat them all up. But this time, he didn't know that the Lord had left him. That's what it said. He had no idea that God wasn't with him. And when he got up, he was taken captive. They poked his eyes out, blinded him. He wasn't the only one in the Bible they did that. The end of Second Chronicles, they blinded a king. Well, they took uh, Samson, blinded him, bound him, took him captive, put him in a place where they had a, a, a millstone. And this man walked around that millstone blind and bound to it for I don't know how many days, how many months, how many years, just walking around in a circle, never able to go anywhere else. I have no idea how many times a day he walked in a full circle, but he was blind, totally humbled and humiliated. Well, one day they brought him before a crowd in a big arena and they wanted to mock him because after all, the Israelite God is weak. He can't protect his judge. They brought him in there. He came in and staggering and stumbling and blind. And they put him between a couple of pillars and he said to a little boy there as everybody's laughing at him. He said, help me to get my arms up against these pillars and brace myself. He did. And in that final prayer as he died, Lord, help me to destroy all these folks. Give me strength one more time because in the process, his hair had grown. He pushed on the pillars. Everything collapsed. The people died. He destroyed more people in his death than he did in his life. Now, isn't that a terrible ending? To be a man anointed of God with the Holy Spirit and so dominated by the flesh that he didn't have the strength inwardly to say no to these different ladies that tempted him. God wants you to be strong. 
Temptation comes to all of us. But you've got to develop that spirit. You've got to develop that inward man. You've got to pray that you would be strengthened with might. You're seated in heavenly places. And since you're seated in heavenly places, Paul said, give no place to the devil. He shouldn't reside in your heart, in your mind. He has no place in your life. Resist him. But before you resist him, you've got to submit to God. And if you won't fully surrender to God, it's going to be terribly difficult to get the devil out. See, we, we wonder sometimes why the adversary likes to roam about seeking whom he may devour. It's because he can find people he can devour. And for us that are here tonight, fellowship is an important thing. Because that devil is looking for ways to cut you off from that flock. Cut you off from fellowship. If he can get you angry or bitter about something silly. If he can cause you to become offended because, well, you know, after all, I did see her go around and shake everybody else's hand, but she didn't shake mine. See? I mean, I, I can't understand. They, they, they ask everybody else to babysit the kid. How come they don't ask me? See, all, all, all kinds of little things like that. And before you know it, that bitterness causes us to become embittered and we start separating ourselves. And that's exactly what the devil wants. And just like those wolves that are chasing after that little rabbit out in the wilderness or chasing after a herd of animals, they look for the weak one or they look to cut off one from that herd and get it to run in all by itself. And then they run it to death. Run it till exhaustion, and then they devour it. And in your own calendar and in your own schedule, if you're not careful, if the devil can't stop you, he'll work you to death. He'll have you so tired at the end of the week, at the end of the month, that you don't know which way is north or south, if you're coming or going. And by the time you realize what's happening, I'm telling the adversary, it's pouncing upon you, pouncing on you. You got to pay attention, folks. Develop a strong spirit so that when you come in contact with weaker Christians or sinners, you don't have to receive and believe everything that they say. They come up to you and, and, and you say good morning to somebody and they tell you, well, what's good about it? Well, I can tell you what's good about it. It's a great day to be alive. That's what's good about it. May not be great in your life, but it is in mine. God never designed for me to have blue Mondays. And God never designed for me to be up on one day and down on another day and back on another day and down on another day. God designed victory for you and for me. The scripture says in 1 John, whatsoever is born again of God conquers overcomes the world. By what? By faith. So I just, I just think that God wants us to be stronger than those that are around us and not to be intimidated. Amen? Amen. Don't let a Buddhist be stronger than you. Don't let a sinner be stronger than you. Have a spirit that's strong enough to resist and throw off certain things so that you can walk in power and in great grace. Let's stand. A number of years ago, Tiffany and I had a friend happily married, so we thought, Beautiful little children, and the wife got online, got to watching stuff she shouldn't have been watching, 
And then pretty soon, hooked up with some guy in another state, left her husband, left her kids for this man. And the man was so broken, just sad to see the decline that took place in his life, died of a broken heart, just about drunk himself to death. They found him, that's what they found, liquor bottles all around him, and he had died. But you know, he had been brought up in church and raised in church, but being brought up in church won't give you a strong spirit. And being raised in church doesn't make you a Christian. To have a strong spirit, you've got to run with some people that know God and love God. Now, had he been in the right place with the right community of believers, there have been some folks that have been able to talk to him, get up under his arms and say, look, stand for God, stand with God to the end of your life, just because he chose the road of sin, walk with God. Remember years ago, after he had been going here for a while, got a call from a guy from Fairbury. He was calling again and again and again. His wife had left. And he wasn't connected with a very strong believers. He was connected with the church. I know the church. The pastor at the time. I came home one time and on that answer machine, there he is. Because I'd met with him several times right here in this building. But I went on the church and the preach came back. There he was on that answer machine. Pastor Darrell, please call me. I need help. I'm just, these voices, they're messing with me. Well, I got home, got home too late, made the phone call, and come to find out here he had taken his life. Taken his life. Now, here's a man, been in church, running with people, supposed to know God, but yet here he's taken his life when he could have been plugged into some people that were strong. Develop a strong spirit so that you can throw stuff off of you when the devil is attacking. It's not the plan of God for you to try to be your own God. But to be connected with people that have power with God and walk with God. I'm telling the suicide spirit, that's not a spirit that needs to be anywhere in this church. It should be connected with anybody under the sound of my voice. God has come to give us life. Not death. Even when you thought about the difficulties of your life and wanting to get up and tired of fighting, you fight on. You fight on. That's God's plan. Let's just take a few moments and let's just worship, worship God. Just we'll find something just to throw on there. But let's just take a few moments. We're not trying to prolong anything, but I just want us to just open up this temple and just love on God for a few moments. Heavenly Father.